the process was way easier than I thought. Uh, working with a producer uh, was a, absolutely a pleasure, creatively a revelation, a really nice collaboration. Uh, the audiobook is out there and selling, and lo and behold, there's a few extra bucks to be made. So I, I, I'm all for it, but, but there are those hurdles to get over for sure. Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we discuss meaningful ways to get better results with your author business. In last week's show, we discussed the process of producing an audiobook with a narrator. This week's show begins with an expansion on the audiobook production theme, but this time we tackle the process from the author's perspective. Our guest is Lawrence Shames, who's been a New York City taxi driver, lounge singer, furniture mover, lifeguard, dishwasher, gym teacher, and a shoe salesman. And as the bio on his website puts it, having failed to distinguish himself in any of those professions, he turned to writing full-time in 1976 and has not done an honest day's work since. Well, we're all authors here, so we know that he's, he's kidding with that uh, bio on his website. But the less humorous reality is that Larry has published 20 books and hundreds of magazine articles and essays. He's best known for his Key West novels, but he's also written nonfiction and enjoyed considerable, though secret success, as a collaborator and ghostwriter, having authored four books that showed up on bestseller list without including his name. His career, as you might imagine for someone with his background, began in traditional publishing, but changed dramatically in 2013 when he decided to re-enter the world of the novelist as an indie author. As a traditionally published author, he'd had audiobooks produced for him for each of his Key West titles, but as an indie author, he of course was totally on his own. In this show, we'll discuss why he decided to have audiobooks produced for the indie published books in the Key West series, the process he went through to select and hire his narrator partner, and the psychological process he went through in 2013 to transition from a traditionally published author to joining the ranks of those of us who indie publish at least some of our work. All right, let's get to this week's show with Lawrence, a.k.a. Larry Shames. We begin our conversation with me asking Larry what advice he'd have for listeners who were concerned that audiobook production would take valuable time and focus away from their writing. Well, I would say, first of all, uh, I was one of those people uh, until, I don't know, a couple, of, a couple of months ago. And earlier in my career, um, I actually had a nice revenue stream going uh, coming from audiobooks, but I was never involved in the process. You know, this was back in the old days of uh, recorded books, uh, audio renaissance, where basically your book would be published. If you were fortunate, uh, you would get a contract uh, from one of the recording companies. They would hand it off to a producer. At the end of the process, you'd get a couple of big boxes of cassettes, and that was it. I, I, I never, ever had anything to do with the process. Uh, and, of course, it's a different world. Uh, the technology is miles, miles, miles removed from that. Uh, and I also think, uh, anecdotally at least, it's crystal clear that the audiobook market is growing 
uh, and becoming an increasingly important source of revenue for, for authors. Um, so, but yeah, I thought, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to be bothered doing it. Uh, there's not going to be enough of a payoff. Uh, maybe I won't even enjoy it. So I had all of those things to overcome. And as it has turned out so far, the process was way easier than I thought. Uh, working with a producer uh, was a, absolutely a pleasure, creatively a revelation, a really nice collaboration. Uh, the audiobook is out there and selling, and lo and behold, there's a few extra bucks to be made. So I, I, I'm all for it, but but there are those hurdles to get over for sure. And for people listening who who might be familiar with your work, you write uh, sort of a Key West series, and we'll get into sort of what I see as as a series that's kind of a series and kind of not a series. But uh, this is the 11th book in that series that, that you collaborated with your producer for, and it, it's called Key West Luck, and the audiobook has, has just come out recently, right? Uh, it's, it's just come out over the last few weeks, um, and you know the process of getting it produced uh, took about six weeks or so. And could have actually been more accelerated than that. So it it, it it didn't turn out to be an enormous investment of of time on my part. Uh, and I think a lot of that is, you know, hooking up with the right producer, uh, keeping the communication open, letting go to some degree because this is someone else reading your words and and interpreting your characters uh but yeah it's it's key west luck has just recently come out and as i said people seem to be listening to it and and in some cases so this is something i i hope we'll get to more um the people who are buying the book in audio are people who have already read it Mm-hmm. Uh, with their with their eyes, so it's 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 a different experience. Uh, and then, of course, more and more, we see people who are uh, completely agnostic about about platform, and they might read a few chapters, fall asleep, wake up the next morning, get in their car, and pick it up again on the audio. So the the possibilities are endless. Right. So you are for for purposes of of, of your publishing now, you are Amazon only. Is that correct? I, I am Amazon exclusive. Uh, I'm an indie, an indie writer for the last few years. Um, that was a transition because I, I had been fortunate to get into traditional publishing uh, at a very good time, kind of in the in, in the mid to late 80s and then through the 90s. So I had a really good ride with that. I'm nothing but grateful. Uh, but the industry has changed. The readership has changed. So yeah, I am I am Amazon exclusive now and very happily so. And that means for your audiobooks, for people who don't know this, the audiobooks can be WhisperSync enabled, which, which means exactly what you described. I can be laying in bed reading Key West Luck in, in Chapter 11 and get up the next morning, get in the car, and it will pick up right where I left off in the car when I'm listening to the book. It's, it's a magical thing. It, 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 it's absolutely amazing. And then, of course, you, know, you, can, you can drive home. You can have your driveway moment because no one is going to stop listening in right. the middle of one of my chapters. <laughs> excuse me, 
you go in, you have your cocktail, you have your dinner, you cozy up in bed, and you go back to the print book, or, or you stay with the audio. And yeah, it's it, it, the the transition is absolutely seamless. It 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 really is remarkable. And just so that listeners understand this, you and I are of a certain age. And um, you just referred to it as a print book, which is exactly what I would do. But, of course, listeners are going, it's not a print book, dummy. It's a Kindle because well, that's the only way it would work. Well, this is, this is true. That's an excellent point. I, I guess I am showing my age. <laughs> I, I was on an interview with someone the other day who referred to me as a vintage person, and I kind of like that. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's it has upscale associations. Yeah, I like it. It's better than just old guy. Better than old guy. <laughs> All right, so let's let's sort of walk through the entire process from where you thought, hmm, I might be able to turn this into an audiobook and make some extra money. Uh, what did you do when you made the decision to do it? Well, the first thing I did. Um, I guess I went to um, I guess I went to Amazon, but that's that's always where I start. And I figured out that there is a, a company called ACX, which stands for Audiobook Creation Exchange, ACX.com. Uh, it is part of it, it's owned by Amazon. So if you go to ACX.com, uh, it becomes pretty easy at that point to figure out. Um, how to connect with the producer. And basically what you do is you list your title, uh, you, you offer it for auditions, and there are a couple of different ways you can offer it. You can, you can pay a flat, a flat fee for production, um, which is by the hour. Typically it's 200 to $400 per produced hour. Or you can choose to do uh, revenue sharing, a, a, a 50-50 royalty split. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you do it that way, which is what I did, and I'll explain why as we go along, if you do it that way, the upfront costs are zip, zero, nada, free. So it's kind of amazing. Uh, and I decided to do the royalty split uh, for a couple of reasons, one being that I'm cheap. And I didn't want to go out of pocket if I could avoid it. And uh, because I was new at this, I really didn't know what the payoff was going to be or how long it would take for me to get my investment back. Um, But I think the more important reason is that I wanted a partnership with a producer. I didn't want I didn't want to hire someone, um, excuse me, just to do some work for me. I really wanted a partnership. And I wanted uh, the producer to have an incentive to do a great job and to take pride in it. So I went into it on that basis. Uh, I'm glad I did. And for me, at least, it was absolutely the right way to go. Come back in three or five years, will I come out financially ahead or behind doing it that way? I, I don't know and I don't care. But for me, it was really the comfortable and the, the better way to do it. Which makes perfect sense with this, with this being your first time. And, and as you gain information, you might make a different decision the next time. Well, I might. That's, that's, that's certainly possible. But, but in the meantime, uh, one of the happy things about my, my experience with Key West Luck is that I do feel like I now have an ongoing relationship with a producer 
Um, he's actually working on another book with me all, already. And notice I say with me, not for me, because yes. mm-hmm. it, it, it is a partnership. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and this could change. I could do a different kind of book and for whatever reason decide I want to do the flat rate thing. Uh, but for me, the royalty sharing makes uh, makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it does to a lot of indie authors as well. Um, when you say, uh, just for listeners out there, and, and even for your information, I am a longtime reader of yours. I have in – I've got this enormous bookcase that sits in the living room. And my favorite hardcover books sit in the top sections. And I have, I think, four or five of your hardcover books sitting in that section, and they've been sitting there forever because there was this – and we'll get to this later. There was this period of time when you were writing and publishing books in this series, and then there was a period of time when you weren't. Yeah, that that's true. Back in the and 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 thank you for the compliment and for the the place of honor on your bookshelf. I I, I appreciate that. Um, but back in the nineties, uh, I was writing pretty much a book a year, and the first one was called Florida Straits. It was published in nineteen ninety two. It was published by Simon and Schuster. Um, then I went to Hyperion. Uh, for four books. Hyperion was owned by Disney at the time. And then I went to Random House. So I I had a great ride. And along the way, uh, I did Sunburn, Tropical Depression, Virgin Heat. Uh, Then the last one of that first set of eight was called The Naked Detective. And at that point, I I thought I was over. I I was wrong, as it turned out. But I, I kind of thought I was over setting books in Key West uh, I thought maybe I'm even over writing fiction altogether. The publishing industry had begun to contract and to change in ways that, frankly, made it a great, great deal less fun for me. Uh, friends of mine had lost their jobs. I was just kind of sick of it, frankly. And I gave myself uh, a 12-year hiatus, and I, I wasn't on vacation. I was doing other kinds of writing. I was doing ghost writing. I was doing nonfiction. I was doing some screenwriting. I was still very fortunate to uh, to be making my livelihood as, as a writer. Um, but I didn't think I wanted to do any more Key West books. And then back in 2013, I guess it was, out of the blue... Uh, with some help from my wife, I won't call it nagging, but I will say that there was some influence there. I thought, you know what? I think it might be fun to do another one of these. Uh, and I did a book called Shot on Location. Uh, heard from a lot of readers who basically, it was it was so sweet. They said, glad to see you're still alive. Not, not necessarily that I'm <laughs> still writing, but gee, we thought you were dead. We thought you had retired. Well, not not really either. Um, so since 2013, um, I've done I've done three Key West books: Shot on Location, Tropical Swap, and then most recently Key West Luck, which is the one that's just very recently available uh, in audio. From a reader's perspective, I have seen over the years lots of people whose work I really admire just stop. And when it happened, I didn't understand. I didn't understand back then what was going on. What, you know, it's just the, the publisher decided, I, I guess, or the author decided that this series has, you know, its time is up. 
And if the publisher decides it, you really don't have many options as an author until the world of of self-publishing came along. But for someone who had the kind of success that you had as a traditionally published author, uh, did you have any qualms about publishing your own work? Oh, Steve, that was that was a big hurdle. That that was a big, big psychological hurdle. Uh, And, you know, partly it, it partly it was just professional pride mm-hmm. like hey i don't have to do that and also you know for 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 our younger listeners who 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 maybe don't know this um it really used to be a two-tiered world and there was there was a lot less prestige in being quote self-published and there was a lot of snobbery great deal of snobbery uh and elitism about being you know oh i'm published in hardcover by a new york publishing house uh i'm happy to say that that the playing field is so much more level now um publishing has become entirely democratic frankly i think it's become a little bit too much of a free-for-all because (laughs) there is a lot of garbage out there Mm -hmm. um so it's it's kind of it's done a complete 180 uh from having a a handful of very powerful gatekeepers to the business uh and a quite small group of writers who did get past the velvet rope uh and then a lot of writers who wanted to be or they didn't get the lucky break or they couldn't find the right agent i mean so many so many circumstantial things kept um good talented diligent people out of the publishing business now you can get into it and um you know the 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 idea that indie authors are second class i mean that that idea has gone away there, there was there was a great civil rights movement in publishing. Okay, it, it's it, at this point anyone can publish, anyone can be taken seriously, um, and I think it's comforting for people to know anybody, anybody with 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 some talent and some dedication and some savvy can actually make money doing it, which uh, which is a nice thing. It really is, and it, it it is wonderful on a number of levels. But one of the things that I, I find interesting about the change in the world of publishing that we're in now, when you were in, in your traditionally published heyday, um, there were marketing departments that did things for you. Uh, there were There were PR departments that did things for you. There were there was an audiobook division that that made sure that there was an audiobook for for your books and now you're doing it on your own and back then there was no social media there were no email lists there was none of this and now you're sort of thrown into the to the deep end of the pool in Key West and maybe facing some things that that you didn't expect to face Are, ha, have there been some particular challenges with with self-publishing that surprised you well, there have been a lot of challenges, and and you know to begin with, um, I, I was spoiled rotten. I mean, and 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 I think and I think most authors, if they're being honest, if if you were being published um, by the big New York houses back in the back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, you were spoiled. And that doesn't mean your publishers didn't disappoint you. It doesn't mean that they didn't break their promises. I mean, things went wrong. But basically, you were given quite generous advances. 
and then you were taken care of and you were sent on tour uh, and, you know, your hotel bills were paid and blah, 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 to whatever extent uh, the publicity was paid for. So cut to the modern publishing world um, for 99% of authors that no longer exists. Uh, And for me, I felt a lot of resistance to the idea of having to do all this myself. Why should I? You know, I'm better than that. I'm beyond that. All all that nonsense that Mm -hmm. you have to shed if you want to survive as as an indie. And for a long time, um, I didn't even I didn't want to do Facebook. I didn't want to do Twitter. I didn't want to keep an email list. I didn't want to be bothered with the administrative chore of a of hanging on to fan mail and answering fan mail. And I made my peace with it that if I want to stay in business, uh, I, I need, I need to do this stuff. And once I got over the idea that it was burdensome, that it was onerous, uh, there's actually a fair amount of pleasure in it. I mean, I, I love hearing from readers. Uh, it's a pleasure and a privilege for me to get back to readers so um, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I've embraced it. Now, there, there are authors, I mean, who do way more than I do. There, there are authors with multiple Facebook accounts and 5,000 friends in each and, uh, you know, people who are very resourceful about promoting themselves and getting onto blogs and, and really making that uh, a second job in mm-hmm. addition to writing. I haven't gone that far. Frankly, I'm too lazy. Um, <laughs> so I respect the people who have done that. But I have kind of, I have found a, a middle ground that's comfortable for me, um, that seems to make my readers happy, that, that keeps my readership growing, uh, at least at a modest level, but a level that I'm content with. So, but yeah, you have to do some of that. You you're, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. If, if you go to all the trouble to write a book and then don't lift a finger to promote it, you're, you're, you're spiting yourself, I think. Now, when you, when you reappeared in the publishing world in 2013 with Shot on Location, which I very much enjoyed, by the way, I mean, it was just such a thrill for me to see. I think it was a Facebook post. And it was, it was just you know, so exciting because it had been so long. And it was such a fun book. And uh, but but what were your what were your expectations at that time? You know, just sort of tossing this book out into the world in a in a way that was completely unlike anything you'd done before. Boy, Steve, my my expectations were somewhere between non-existent and extremely modest. Um, I honestly i didn't I didn't know how many people remembered. Uh, the first batch of, of eight Key West books. Uh, although I was returning to the Key West location, uh, Shot on Location was a quite different kind of book. I didn't know if readers would follow me. Um, and so, so my expectations were, were really, really low. I wrote the book first and foremost because I felt like writing the book. But one of the things about, one of the satisfactions about making that leap into the brave new world of publishing is that I discovered 
that there was this um, there was this great amount of goodwill, and there were lots of readers who were wondering where I where I'd gone. I would not have known that without publishing a new book and putting it up on social media and putting it out there. Um, and then I was pleasantly surprised, beyond surprised. I was really truly touched to hear from readers and you know that oh my god i've been waiting for another one so that's been that's been a great part of this kind of second second phase of my key west writing career now technically there were some probably some technical hurdles that you had to get over Uh, in addition to just the you know the idea of publishing your own book um did you have to go make an effort to get the rights back to your to the original uh, books in the in the key west series Oh boy! Yeah, yes, is, <laughs> yes is the short answer. This this was this was a process that went went on for years. Uh, my literary agent at the time uh, put in a lot of a, a lot of trouble, a lot of letters back and forth. At some point, there were two different literary agents involved. At some point, I got involved personally. Um, and you know, uh, when you're, when you're an author trying to get rights back, you can point to the contract and you can say, look, the book has lapsed from print or you, you haven't reached the sales threshold in the last six months. I mean, you, you can point to things in the contract. Uh, you're not going to sue someone over this. It's probably not worth it. Um, so at some point, it simply becomes a matter of saying to the publisher, look, you've made your money off of this. It's my work. Do the right thing. Now, if you ask a publisher often enough to do the right thing, eventually maybe they'll do it. It's not going to be like <laughs> top on the things to do today. Do the right thing by an author. OK, it's not high in their priorities, but it but it can be done. It is a grind. Uh, you have to be determined. You have to be patient. But yeah, I, at this point, I own the rights to to all of uh, any book I've ever written under my own name, uh, which I think now is about fifteen books. I own the rights to, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm proud of that because it, it it did take a lot of fighting and a lot of determination to get the rights back. Okay, so so listeners out there might be thinking that well, in 2013. You know, you released a book, and and you know that's that's wonderful. But you got all these other books back, and then essentially you needed to publish them again. So you needed covers, you needed formatting, you needed to figure out how to do all this stuff. Yes, and again, we're you know we're talking we're talking serious, legitimate technological hurdles, but nothing that can't be done by a person of a of reasonable intelligence and let's say unreasonable uh determination to get it done um so yeah i you know it's a a, a funny thing with with publishing even when i got the rights back to my books i didn't own the original covers the original covers were still owned by by the publisher Mm -hmm. so i had to go out and commission new cover art um that was a process of finding the right person i eventually ended up working with a, a very talented designer out in Los Angeles. I wanted to give the books uh, a uniform 
look so they'd, they'd be recognizable, a distinctive look. So he and I have worked together for years. That's been a great relationship. Uh, and then just figuring out the technical part of getting getting something from Microsoft Word <laughs> into the, the appropriate format for Kindle. Uh, my print-on-demand editions are through CreateSpace. You've got to go through their formatter. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that I'm particularly good at. But again, if you're an author, if you approach it as a business, if you feel like you need to embrace the, the, the realities of the marketplace. It's something that you need to be able to do. Um, you know, the alternative is you pay someone else to do it. And if you're a perfectionist, if you're a control freak, as I am, and most authors I think are, you're going to end up putting in the work anyway. So rather than paying someone else to do it and then redoing it because they didn't do it my way, I just did it my way from the start. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it is a job, but at the end of the day, and, 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 and I say this to every author, at the end of the day, it's your book, it's your business, take care of it. And it's, 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 it's work, but it's not impossible, and the gratifications are for real. We mentioned earlier that you were Amazon only. Was that – did you wrestle with that decision? I wrestled with it, but not for long. And uh, uh, again, you know, biz- business decisions. Okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're not we're not we're not talking emotional attachments. We're not talking uh, anything except business. Amazon, you have to be in business with Amazon. If 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 you want to make your living as a writer, if you even want to make part of your living as a writer, you need to be in business with Amazon. And Amazon is incredibly they're incredibly smart about providing incentives. So you get a much better royalty rate uh, if you're Amazon exclusive than if you were not. And if you look at the increment, uh, if you look at the increment in the royalty rate, and then you look at market share, you're gonna you're gonna get way 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 more um, going Amazon exclusive and missing out on five or ten or 15% of the market. Mm-hmm. So it was, in business terms, it was an easy decision. And my only qualm about it at the time was that, gee, some of my readers have nooks. Some of my readers, you know, don't like to deal with Amazon. I don't want to exclude people. But, you know, at this point, you can get a Kindle app for virtually any device, uh, if you have another device, you could still download Kindle books. And, you know, philosophically, um, is my heart really with Amazon? No, my heart's always going to be with the little guy. Mm-hmm. But there's there's where your heart is, and then it's it's what, you know, puts dinner on the table. So so for me, being in business with Amazon was, uh, was really a pretty easy decision. It, it's interesting because I, I talk to a lot of people on this show, and there's – there's, I won't say there's an even split, but there's a percentage of people who believe for very valid reasons, I think, that they want to have their books uh, available everywhere. And those reasons aren't just because Aunt Millie has a nook, but it's because they want to have a presence in all these different stores. And I think that's a very valid reason to do it. I, I think what you just described as Aunt Millie has a nook, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, um, that's a really bad reason. 
to not mm-hmm. go exclusive with Amazon. And, and there's a percentage of people, you know, maybe 10 or 15% of people who I think are making a mistake by not being strategic with, with that decision making. If you really want to go wide for, for business reasons, then do it. If, if it's Aunt Millie has a nook and you, and you want Aunt Millie to always be able to buy your books, you're, I think you're probably costing yourself some money in the in the short term. And if something happens with Amazon where they change things, it's not that hard to change. Yeah, no, I I I, I think that's true. I mean, I I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly the deal. I think I think you can you can change out of the exclusive thing. I think like. Every ninety days, it's, yes. it's 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 not like it's forever, but you know this this idea, and and again, as as someone um, who came of age in traditional publishing and and traditional bookstores, um, I understand what you're saying about you. You know, you want your book to be in stores, you want it to be on shelves. Um, I, I I get that; it's very appealing. You want to be in libraries, of, of course. Um, but you know, here in a here in Asheville, we have we have a wonderful public library, and they're overflowing with books. So they always have these these racks outside the door with free books, <laughs> and I see more bestsellers on on those racks. And I thought, you know what? Here, this is where everyone ends up. You know, Clive Custler, Sarah Paretsky, you know, <laughs> Stephen King. Everyone in, in terms of physical books, everyone ends up on the free shelf. It used to be we all ended up on the remainder table. That was bad enough. Now we end up on the free shelf and people take the books like if it's raining, they'll get a book so they'll hold over their head. So, you know, the the, the, the romance of having physical books on physical shelves, it, it's just, it's kind of worn off for me. I mean, I still think books are wonderful objects, but it's it's not so important to me to feel like my book is on this or that um, bookstore shelf. We were talking earlier about the difference between now and then in, in terms of the, a possible stigma with indie publishing and, and, and how that's changed over the course of years. There are still some places where and, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the big conferences, uh, Thriller Fest, for example, in New York City. Um, it, that is a very big uh, – there's there's – I don't know. The, the the big stars of that are the traditionally published stars, and, and the publishers are there in force. But there was someone who gave a talk at Thriller Fest. I didn't hear about it. I, I read a blog post about it, who said essentially that if you're a traditionally published author who's not absolutely positive that you're going to be able to continue in the traditional world for the next decade, you're already three years behind if you're not self-publishing something. What Would you agree with that? Boy, I, Steve, I would totally agree with that. I, I would absolutely agree with it um, because you know and, and I, I speak from personal I, I speak from personal experience. I got lazy. I didn't know how to do my own promotion. There were a lot of things that have become very important to my career that I did flat out did not know how to do. So yeah, I, I think if you uh, you know, if 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 if, if you look, if you're getting seven figure contracts from major publishers, more power to you. Yes, 
Um, but I do think two two things. First of all, most people are not getting seven figure contracts from their publishers, and we can and name those dozen people that are. <laughs> well, well, that's true, and, and and I wish I wish them well. I, I, yes, I, I I respect their hard work. I I, I really do. Um, but here's the other part of it. Um, you're, that point about unless you're confident that you're going to stay in, in traditional publishing for the next decade, nobody is. Mm-hmm. No, you know, no, I don't think any, and again, leave out a handful of, of household names. But even if you are a pretty successful author, even if you're someone who's had a good ride in publishing, Boy, I don't think you can count on staying in that business for a decade. The the attrition rate, publishers lose interest, editors get fired, editors move on, someone else becomes the flavor of the month. Um, that's just the nature of, of the business. So, yeah, I think that, that any author, even if he or she is having a good ride with traditional publisher, um, you have to know how to do this stuff on yourself, for yourself, because at some point that publishing relationship is going to go away. All right, one last question, and it, it's only because I think you're the first ghostwriter I've ever interviewed. What's, what's that process like to, to, to put your blood, sweat, and tears into a book and then see it sold under someone else's name and to not even be able to say, hey, I wrote that book that's a bestseller? Yes, you know, sometimes it's difficult. This is a question that this is a question that, that I've actually been asked pretty pretty regularly. And my, my, my answer is simply this. There are jobs that you do uh there are jobs that you do for the glory, for real or imagined glory. There are jobs that you do for money. And the the ghosting books, the, the books that I've ghosted, um I take pride in them. I brought all the craft I have to them. Uh, and I also understood that one of the things that, that I had to sell was my discretion and my willingness to, uh, uh, to, to make my ego secondary and to stay out of the way. So that's one of the things that you have to sell if you're a ghostwriter. Um, can I say I've never felt a pang? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> That book's on the bestseller list, and nobody knows I wrote it. I mean, sure, there's a pang, but it's it, it, it's part of the deal. And uh, you know, I consider myself uh, a realist. Uh, if I if I weren't a realist, I wouldn't have had the career that I've had. Uh, I wouldn't have managed to get by, you know, without without a day job. So that that's part of the deal. You, you sign the contract, you cash the check, you hand in the book, and you're done. Now, one of the books you've written in the the second act of your life, I, I'm drawing a blank on what the title is now, but that's I, when I read that book, I'm like, oh, <laughs> Larry must have been a ghostwriter. But the, what, your character was a ghostwriter, and of course, I think he wound up in Key West, like all of the characters do. What was the title of that book? Boy, he's a ghostwriter, and he ended up in Key West. Well, now, shot on location, there's a ghostwriter who goes okay, down Okay, to- that was it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I can tell I'll, I'll tell you a tale out of school. I think probably there's no harm in it at this point. Back in 2006, uh, ain't the ancient days of 2006, there was a very successful television series called Lost. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, there was a best-selling book 
that was a spin-off of the TV series Lost. Now, I'm not going to come out and tell you publicly that I wrote that book, but there are certain affinities. And for years and years after that, I thought it's just such a good setup for a ghostwriter to be pulled into the craziness of a television series and someone ends up getting murdered. I'm not saying I was angry about any of this, but I wanted, what if the producer got murdered? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> so that was kind of the genesis of Shot on Location, actually. <laughs> All right, Larry, this is a great place for us to end. This is, it's always a pleasure for me to, to chat with you. I've been a big fan for so long and I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with our listeners. Great, Steve. It's great to be with you again, and and thank you for the kind words. Much appreciated. And you can learn more about Larry at his website, which is lawrenceshames.com, L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E-S-H-A-M-E-S.com. There are links to all of his social media platforms there as well. And, of course, we'll have a link to that in the show notes.